Hello everybody. This is our eighth sermon in our series, What is Our Mission? And today we are looking at the topic of prayer. We're focusing on the Bible passages 1 Kings 8 verses 41 to 43, Matthew 9 verses 35 to 38, and Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20. It was November 1949 in the village of Barvas on the Isle of Lewis that sisters Peggy and Christine Smith began their mission of prayer. They were burdened by the fact that no young people were attending their local church. So despite Peggy being 84 and completely blind and Christine being 82 and bent double with arthritis, they began to pray two nights a week from 10 o'clock to 3 a.m. in the morning. That's right, five hours through the middle of the night. As these prayer meetings went on, they began to get encouragement from God. Peggy received a vision of their church crowded with young people. At this, they summoned their minister to their house in order to tell him that revival was on the way. Rather helplessly, the Reverend James Murray Mackay replied, What do you suggest I do? What should you do? gasped the two sisters. You should pray, man. On that, it was arranged that at the same time as these two old women were praying in their house, the minister would gather his elders and pray in a freezing cold balm. This was the beginning of a remarkable series of late-night prayer meetings held in Barvas. One night, as they were all praying, a young deacon felt led by God to call the gathered elders to start praying prayers of repentance. Immediately, a very powerful sense of the presence of God filled the barn, causing it to shake. The next morning, the minister sent word for a Gaelic-speaking evangelist to be sent to the area. Eventually, in response, Duncan Campbell arrived. Originally, he only intended coming for two weeks, but he ended up staying for two years. What happened next was a holy thing that we can barely comprehend. People started coming to church after midnight, having been woken up with an insatiable urge to come. Many on Lewis received visions leading them to seek out Jesus. Others were walking along the road when suddenly overwhelmed by the sense of their sin, they converted before they even reached the church door. The presence of God was so tangible that even passing sailors in their boats said they felt it. Preaching went on for weeks, but at noon each day, everything would stop for further prayer. It was clear that prayer had been a part of the revival's start and prayer helped to sustain it. By the end of the Hebridean revival in 1953, there were more than 20,000 new converts. We're continuing our series looking at mission. We are asking the most important questions that human beings ever ask. Questions such as, why are we here on earth? What is our purpose in life? How are we to live as God's people? This week we arrive at the topic of prayer. And as can be seen from the likes of Peggy and Christine Smith, this is a topic that is relevant to every single one of us. There is much about prayer that is a mystery. But there is one thing the Bible is very clear on. It works. God really does answer prayer. Now, I don't need to resort to the annals of church history to try and convince us of that. Many of us in this room could stand up and give a testimony of answered prayer. 
not just to prayer for themselves, but to prayers they prayed for others too. I personally have witnessed healing in answer to prayer. I have received guidance. I've seen various doors open and others close. All in all, far too many coincidences for them to remain coincidences. And the Bible tells us that because God does answer our prayers, prayer is part of what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Listen to what Moses said of Israel just before they travelled into Canaan to live among the pagan nations. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Praying to God and seeing him answer in tangible ways is part of what reassures us that we are God's people. But as that verse suggests, it means that prayer can also be profoundly missional. That is not to say that when we pray, we do it to be seen by others. Jesus warned us about doing that. But as we pray for others and God begins to move in response, those people begin to take notice and ask questions. Some, like the people on Lewis, become convinced of the reality of God and turn to him in faith precisely because they see God's power at work in response to our prayers. So as God's people, we are very much to be a people of prayer. And amongst the prayers of praise and confession and personal petition, we should be making time to pray for others who do not yet know God for themselves. In this sermon, I want to focus on three particular things the Bible says we should be praying for as we think about our calling to prayer. We are to pray for the blessing of the nations. We are to pray for the work of mission. And we are to pray for the defeat of evil. Let's take them one at a time. Do you remember right back at the beginning of the series how we heard God's purpose for his people? We are to be a people of blessing. In the opening chapters of Genesis, we discovered how the world has fallen under the curse of sin, a curse that has come from our own disobedience. But God loved the world too much to just leave it in that fallen state, so he started work to reverse the curse. The opposite of a curse is a blessing, and that is what he called Abraham and all his descendants after him to start bringing into the world. Listen to the words of Abraham's call once more. The Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you hear that? All peoples on earth will be blessed through God's chosen family. Now, it's not very long into Abraham's life before we get to see how that blessing starts to work itself out through the medium of prayer. In Genesis 18, Abraham finds himself in an extraordinary position. God tells him that great judgment is about to fall on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God has seen the terrible wickedness and injustices that are taking place there, and now he has no choice but to do something about it. Yet when Abraham hears this news, his response is amazing. He starts to intercede for the cities. He pleads for God to take into consideration the righteous people who live among the wicked. Surely God will do what is right by them. At this, a strange bargaining process takes place. 
Abraham says, If there are 50 righteous people in the city, surely, Lord, you will spare it. And God agrees, he will indeed spare the city for 50 people. And Abraham goes again, Surely if there are 45 good people in the city, you should spare it. And again, God agrees, he will indeed spare it. And this goes on and on. 40 people, 30 people, 20 people, 10 people. It really is a mind-blowing conversation. But what we witness is God listening to Abraham. He allows Abraham to ask his questions. He allows him to speak up on behalf of others. Sodom stood in the blast path of God's judgment, but that did not make Abraham turn away from the people of the city, but rather he turned to God in prayer on their behalf. We learn something really important here. Our calling is to be people who bless all the nations of the earth. We do not have to agree with the behaviour of a nation in order to pray for it. Sometimes we're simply to pray for God to have mercy upon them. In Ezekiel, this privileged role as God's intercessors gets made explicit. As God prepares to bring his judgment on Jerusalem and take his people into exile, he condemns the absence of anyone praying on the city's behalf. Listen to this, Ezekiel 22.30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Wow, that makes us take a big gulp, doesn't it? Our prayers for God to have mercy on a nation and to bless instead of judge somehow really do make a difference. But the Bible actually takes us further than this. We're not just to pray for the sparing of other nations. We're to pray for their coming to faith. This is where our first reading from 1 Kings 8 comes in. 1 Kings 8 comes from the moment where Solomon has just finished building the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. As he comes to open it, he wants to dedicate it to the Lord. Explicitly, he wants to dedicate it as a house of prayer. Throughout this long chapter, which we only read a very small part of, he prays that as God's people turn towards the temple and offer up their prayers, the Lord will hear them and answer them powerfully. Solomon prays that that will be the case whether the people are seeking forgiveness or for help when an enemy attacks or for rain in a time of drought. But amongst all these requests, there is one that really stands out, the one we read. Solomon prays that the Lord will hear the prayers of foreigners, non-Jews, people who cannot even enter the inner courts of the temple for themselves. He prays that as other nations hear of the Lord and try praying to him for themselves, God would answer those prayers in such a dynamic way they will come to fear the Lord for themselves. What we have here then is the ancient equivalent of a prayer box or the taking of prayer requests from our neighbours. People who do not know God for themselves, but ask that God's people may pray for them on their behalf. Solomon is keen to point out that God has the power to answer those prayers, and through his mercy, he can use them to bring outsiders of the faith to himself. What I have tried to show then in this first section of the sermon is how prayer fits into our calling to be a people of blessing. Not just a blessing to those people around us who we like, but to be a blessing to the whole world. 
Somehow, prayer enables us to call down the power and presence of God into the lives of strangers. Not to destroy them, but to save and to bless. This is part of our mission as God's people, and we can all do it. The second thing the Bible shows us that we should be praying for is the work of mission itself. By that I mean particularly works of justice, witness and evangelism. If we read the New Testament carefully, I think we find that prayer is the atmosphere that all good work takes place in, just as it was in Lewis in our opening illustration. Take the life of Jesus for an example. It was as Jesus was praying that the Spirit came on him at his baptism, empowering him for ministry. It was as Jesus was praying out in the wilderness that he learned about how to go about his role as Messiah. Jesus got up early in the morning to pray before busy days of teaching and healing. Jesus spent the night in prayer before choosing his disciples. When Jesus sent those disciples out to bring good news to the surrounding towns and villages, he stayed behind praying for them. On the last evening he was with them, he took the time to pray for their work once he was gone. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed agonising prayers, calling on God to help him go through with his death. When he was on the cross itself, Jesus prayed multiple times, not just for his own benefit, but imploring the Father to forgive those who were treating him so badly. I think we get the point. Jesus lived a life of prayer. His mission was saturated and empowered by prayer. Jesus also taught about prayer. Of course, most famously, there is the Lord's Prayer, which many of us know off by heart. But have you ever stopped to think how that is a fundamentally missional prayer? We are calling God to bring heaven to earth, to make his kingdom come and to help us to be a part of it. We are asking God to help us forgive other people. But Jesus also taught us the prayer that made up our second reading. In Matthew 9, he specifically asked his followers to pray for more workers to enter God's mission field. He asked them to pray for the ongoing work of evangelism. Listen again, Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I wonder what would happen if we prayed that prayer as sincerely and as often as we prayed the Lord's Prayer. It could be amazing, couldn't it? So then if our first point was that we are to pray for the blessing and benefit of other nations in the world, and particularly non-believers, the second point is that we are to live our whole lives in the realm of prayer. We are to daily pray for the work of mission. We need to pray for help to be a good witness in our workplace. We need to pray for opportunities to speak about Jesus to our family and friends and that God will give us the words to say when they come. We are to pray for the mission of the church on Isla. Pray for people we come across at funerals, the drop-in, the beach mission. Pray for me as I go into schools and as I preach Sunday by Sunday. Let's surround everything we do in prayer. Like those two older ladies on Lewis, anybody can take up the ministry of prayer. 
You may feel unable to do much else in church, but let me tell you, prayer is one of the most vital things any of us can be doing. It is utterly essential. So as God's people, our mission is to pray for the blessing of the nations and to pray for the work of mission. But there is one final area that I'd like to very briefly touch upon. We are to pray for the defeat of evil. It is possible to read the Bible as a story of war. God is working relentlessly to drive out the forces of evil and darkness from his good creation. As Christians, we're not to live in fear of this spiritual battle, but we are to be aware that it's going on and to take it seriously. We know that Jesus decisively defeated evil at the cross and resurrection. We also know that on the day he returns, he will eliminate all evil from the world for good. Truly, the outcome of this war is totally assured, all due to the overwhelming goodness of God. But we live in the days of waiting in between. Evil is a stricken foe, mortally wounded and on the way down, but thrashing around with venom as it does so. Evil is still struggling on for a little while yet. Part of our mission of prayer then is to join in God's struggle against evil. We see that in the Lord's Prayer when we are asked to be delivered from evil and when we pray for God's kingdom of light and goodness to come. That is why I included our third short reading from Ephesians 6. At the end of Paul's famous passage on spiritual warfare, where he calls the church to take up the armour of God, he pleads with us to pray. We are to pray for all the Lord's people as they seek to live in the world. We are to pray particularly for those at the front line who are fearlessly declaring the word of God, something evil does not like at all. Paul believes that prayer is both part of our defence against evil and our weapon of attack. I want to leave that there. Prayer as part of spiritual warfare is a big topic that we do not have time to go into now. But we have now managed to sketch out the missional dimensions of prayer. We are to pray for the blessing of the nations. We are to pray for the ongoing work of mission, both ours and of others. And we are to pray for the defeat of evil in whatever form we come across it. I believe this is something we can all go away and start participating in right now. It may be that your prayer life has got rather stale. Why not use this service tonight as an encouragement to pep it back up a bit? Go back to having a quiet time each day, even if it's short. Set some quality time aside for God. How about making the commitment to pray the Lord's Prayer at midday each day or another time that suits you? Set an alarm on your phone. Pray through it line by line. Why not start a prayer list or prayer journal? Work through it day by day and leave space to write down answered prayers. You could, of course, use our own daily prayer guide to help with this. Why not prayer walk round your street or your village? Praying for the people whose houses you pass and anything else God raises to your attention. There are so many ways we can pray. If you're really struggling, I'd love to help talk this through with you. Come and see me. But remember those two old ladies on Lewis. From a concerted effort of prayer, revival sprang. If we make the effort as a church to take up our mission of prayer, the possibility for God's work on Isla are endless.